Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of State of the Art. And uh, if you've been following along this month, then you guys will know that we've been talking about this concept of authorship and ownership in the art world. Um, Of course, there's a lot of technological changes that are helping us rethink art ownership and sort of everything under the sun in in the art world uh, as technology is affecting it. But something that has, frankly, always thrown a wrench in this topic is public art. Um, For obvious reasons, public artists have always been forced to share the rights of their work uh, with the general public, but obviously this gets a lot more complicated once people start actually making money off of the art. So uh, our guest today has a lot of experience helping artists make the most of these sticky situations. Uh, He's the CEO and co-founder of this shop One Time Run based in Detroit. Uh, which has also led him into the public art world with murals in the market. Um, We're going to talk about all of that stuff. uh, But first, I just want to thank you, uh, Jesse Corey, for being on the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks, Andrew. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to uh, have you dialing in from Detroit. Where in Detroit is the shop based, by the way? So we're just about a mile and a half out of downtown on the east side. We're located really close to the Heidelberg Project, which is a 30-year um, ongoing art installation by the artist Tyree Guyton. And we're right here next to the river, just uh, just can see Canada from the window. Nice. I know uh, Detroit is becoming famous for an art town, man. It somehow seems to happen that whenever cities fall on hard times uh, economically that the artists do well, right? Sure. And, you know, for a long time, artists have have been moving here from all major cities and not so much from the smaller cities as you would get in like Chicago and New York. And, uh, you know, it's just been a groundswell of really, really cool people that have coming in and just creating. And, you know, and we see that, you know, the the ad effects of gentrification are now starting to set in. So it's kind of a push and pull on our end. Yeah. Well, well, look, I'm I'm really excited that you were able to talk to us, and uh, one of the reasons, among many, is that um, one time run actually came up sort of during our uh, pre-episode recording due to its involvement in defending street artists whose art was being used without their permission as part of a very famous car advertisement now. Um, but before we get into that, I'd love for you to tell me and our listeners a little bit more about uh, just what one time run is and how you got started. Sure. So One Time Run, uh, we are publishers of fine art editions. We uh, run an online um, store where people can come and um, purchase uh, art prints. And we work across uh, a vast spectrum, uh, you know, early in the graffiti movement, now street art, illustration, lowbrow surrealism. And now we're seeing kind of what this effect is uh, kind of post-graffiti abstract world. So for the last nine years, we've been publishing um, we've published over 2,500 editions. We've worked with somewhere around 800 different artists. And each day at noon, we drop a new collection or art edition. And, uh, you know, from that and having all those relationships, um, we got involved in doing murals. Um, just kind of did murals on our own for a long time. Our friends paint murals. People love to come to, to different cities and paint murals. We facilitated them. And that turned into us being uh, coming up with our own mural festival, which is Murals in the Market. And we started that. This will be our fifth year. And, um, you know, through publishing, you know, we deal with um, usage uh, issues that come up that artists have. Um, we talk a lot about, you know, uh, how to create additions and how usage is related to um, that format. And then, you know, public art, you know, just uh, happens to be a whole plethora of different issues that arise when something's placed in the public space. So so tell me a little bit about like, it, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily automatically um connect for maybe me or some of our listeners, what is kind of the relationship between street art and running these limited editions? Yeah, I think that what I've I've told people in the past is that, so most artists uh, start off and don't have a tremendous amount of fans or collectors. Mm. So when you're an artist that works in the public space, the likelihood of you having more fans is higher. Then the likelihood of those fans wanting to have or collectors or fans that become collectors wanting to actually have a piece of your artwork in their home is higher. So when you're looking at a, an edition, a lot of artists struggle with finding a collector base that can support an edition's um, component of their business. So 
um, if you paint artwork, paint public art and you do murals and you travel the world over, the likelihood of you having fans uh, that are going to be able to support an addition is a lot higher. So that kind of is where those two things kind of sit and, and, and work together. And what is your like, what is your own sort of personal affinity or like what brought you personally into working specifically kind of with this genre of art? So I've worked in the creative field. I have a background in filmmaking. Um, so I've worked in the creative field my entire life. And when I was I was working on a, a documentary that was about uh, a specific artist in Detroit who was uh, really getting up. It was a, the turtle. And, you know, we were I worked on this documentary and I learned so much about, um, you know, just kind of getting away with uh, creating artwork and the rebellious part of it that I was really attracted to it. And my co-founder, um, Dan Armand, was one of the subjects of our film. And he, we would go out at night and he would paint graffiti and we would film him. So that's kind of where that started. And then, you know, we were always kind of working in the back room. Um, we had a small gallery. Um, we were just like kind of coming up with different ideas. And we came up with one-time run as a way to publish prints and put them up for a limited amount of time. And since we didn't have any money to do it, we just pre-booked the orders or had people pre-order them. And then we just made however many sold. And that's kind of how the business started back in 2011. Hmm. Very cool. I, I love, man, you know, uh, we talk to a lot of people here on the show that, that are attached to the arts and, um, you know, it's always, uh, especially to artists, a mystery, how they can actually, uh, be proactive about turning their art into money. I mean, all of them love what they're doing. Um, but it takes a special kind of mind to be able to see, uh, the opportunity between the artwork and actually making money off that artwork. And so it seems like, you know, you're really an advocate for, artists being able to make money off of what they're doing. Sure. I mean, you know, many of the artists that I work with, you know, we talk about the history of art and, and people that have supported the arts throughout the years. And there's, you know, the art on its own without a collector, the art without its own, without a curator and these kind of like three components that come together, which is, you know, somebody who can sell it and, and somebody who can, uh, and if somebody who wants to buy it and somebody who makes it, that's really the, the, the triangle that makes the whole, um, uh, environment work. And if, if we're all working together and we're, we're, we're all have the same goals in mind and, and we put the same energy into it, we can really create a spark that becomes energized for everybody inv involved in the project. And I think that drives the market for, for the entire industry. Hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, one of the repeated themes I'm hearing with this theme of ownership is that, you know, it doesn't really matter what the model is, uh, that fundamentally a lot of times this idea of ownership and how you actually make money in a healthy way comes down to how well you can steward re relationships between artists, curators, gallerists, and collectors. Sure. And I think that at the core of it is, uh, you know, social media has been, you know, a real big benefit for artists because um, you can actually communicate directly with the fan that will can become a collector. And that's a really, really huge part that has changed our movement. And, you know, from the days that we started not too long ago to where we sit today, you know, um, galleries held the keys and uh, they had the collectors and then that's the way it worked, you know, and then artists had to kind of work through them. And, you know, really interesting is that, you know, now with kind of that third wall being brought down, where it, where do curators, gallerists, where do they kind of fit in that um, spectrum? And we provide uh, at one time run, at least how we kind of see ourselves fitting into it, is be um, not only curators, but caretakers. And so I think, you know, if you look at an industry, um, we touch all aspects of the industry on all sides all the time. So our knowledge base then just being a lone um, person kind of working on their own is much more vast. So I think that's kind of like where where we kind of fit in the industry at this point is kind of being a, a, a real caretaker of the relationships and being one that's out there um, having many, many conversations and has many relationships. Um, and then we kind of share them together when we do a collaboration with an artist. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about, um, so, so it sounds like, you know, murals, public art, um, street art has always been kind of a part of, uh, 
what was it the heart and soul of one by run to begin with, but, um, but it took some time to get into this project, uh, murals in the market. Can you, uh, tell the listeners a little bit more about how you got into that, where it started from and what it's grown into? Sure. So I, it was back in 2011, you know, we, we worked on a project here in Detroit called the Detroit beautification project. And that project was really spearheaded by revoke. And he, we had a little bit of money from a paint company and, and, and the t-shirt company that supported it. And then we released an art print and that art print was able to fund us bringing out, it was at least a dozen different artists from, um, Pose, Dabs, Mila, Risk, um, a lot of different artists just were flown out here and they just did, we got permission-based spots. We did them all over the city and they were just burners. They were just like graffiti letters, pieces. It wasn't murals. And so we were already painting murals on the side of our gallery at that point, but it was just kind of something we did every year and we didn't really understand the effect of it. Um, other than it like brought attention to what we were doing, but that project really kind of showed us the power of like bringing in a lot of different artists doing, a a, a concept under one, um, umbrella and then seeing the effects of that. So we then, uh, started to do murals in the neighborhood that we were a part of art. We had a gallery there called interstate and Eastern market. Now, Eastern Market is one of the oldest and largest active farmers markets. It's full of meat packers and and um, vegetable distributors. It's cool neighborhood, um, and it's it feels very very old school and very traditional to what you would think a farmers market would be. Hmm. And so we just you know start started painting some murals. Um, you know we would just do one when somebody would come. Okuda came to town one time. He says, "Hey, I, I'm here. I, I didn't even know who he was." gave me his book and, you know, he, and I got him a lift. He painted a mural. Then Nitro showed up, I think it was 2013 and he brought his entire crew, the weird, they stayed in our loft for, I think it was three months and just, they got 1500 cans of sponsored paint delivered. I rented them a couple cherry pickers. And next thing you know, we had like four or five murals and they were all over Eastern market. Yeah. So, so, um, Eastern market corporation, which is a, a steward of the, um, public grounds there came to us and says, Hey, you guys, what do you think about doing something, uh, creating a moment around public art in Eastern market? And I said, well, that's great. We've been sponsoring powwow and all the powwow events for at least three years. At that point, we had done mural festivals in Hawaii, um, in Islam, Mexico and, um, Cancun and Tokyo. I mean, we were just sponsoring and participating in mural festivals all over the world. And we said, you know, we've been to them, we know how to do them but who's going to pay for it? And that's when Easter market says, you know what, we've got some foundations that want to support a public arts initiative and we can help you, um, with the financing for it. So the first year, um, we, you know, barely made it, uh, by the skin of our teeth, we did 40 murals. Um, and it just kept growing from there. So collectively now in Easter market, there's 150 murals. Um, each year we bring in 20 local artists, 20 traveling international artists. We pair them together with no hierarchy. We typically give the local artists the, the more uh, high profile spaces in the market because they get more benefit in the long run over it. Hmm. And what we saw is, is so many things that are so positive. Um, but the one thing that is the bellwether, um, that we can really, you know, be proud of is that many, many of the artists that have um, participated in the mural festival, because it's high profile, there's a lot of people that go by the artwork every day. Our website gets a lot of traffic and it has this curated list of artists on it is that there is actually a mural economy in our city now. And many of the artists are full-time uh, mural painters that are making a living off of it. And if that's one thing that we can be proud of, that's the one. So, so how does this, you know, I think one of the things that a lot of people are kind of curious about is just like what, you know, obviously in the graffiti world, when you get to like the roots roots, uh, people are putting up murals maybe where, uh, you know, owners of buildings aren't so happy about it, but in all of these cases, you're actually going through proper channels. So what is the, what is kind of the process of getting someone who owns a wall involved? What is, you know, what is their reaction to it? What are their rights to it? And then, you know, what is kind of the relationship between the artwork, the artist, the building owner, and then the general public? <laughs> So we're trying to unpack that one. Yeah, That's it's a, a couple. I know it's, there's a lot there. <laughs> I, I I could take it cradle to grave, you know. Um, yeah. 
so most of the time when you talk to a building owner and you say, hey, you know, we're thinking about painting some art here, the easiest thing for them to say is no. And they do a lot of times. Um, I think you have to be personable and you have to be genuine and honest. And I think the biggest thing in our neighborhood was, uh, you know, they don't want to pay for it and all the buildings need to be painted. So if I was looking for a build, like if I was in my hometown and I said, yo, I want to paint a mural, I would hit up the first building that's got flaky paint because (laughs) that's like the easiest one. Okay. And then, you know, from there, um, a lot of times what we do is I have a very simple uh, form letter that they sign with their phone number. And the reason why we put together that form, and I'd be happy to share it with the listeners and you guys can put it on your website, is that the police were coming up to us and saying, what are you doing here? Because spray cans are associated to graffiti. And, you know, a lot of towns have, you know, a graffiti uh, initiative, you know, to, to get rid of graffiti. So basically it was a permission form. Um, and it, and I would hand it to the cops and they would call the number on it and the building owner would say, yeah, I gave him permission. They'd leave us alone. We've, um, evolved that same contract, same agreement into releasing the building owner from liability. You know, somebody says, well, what if you break your, break your leg? You know, I don't want to be responsible for it. So that's, we've included that language. Um, but yeah, it's super simple. I mean, most of the time on a handshake, um, you know, that's how deals are done. you personable, um, being friendly. And then, uh, the other side of it is that the the building owner, we asked them in our project, can you keep it up for a year, at least minimum? Hmm. And they say, yeah, I'll, I'll make you that commitment. And then the third thing they say is, hey, you know, can you paint my dog on there? Or I like, you know, something <laughs> very specific or, you know, I'm a deer hunter. Can you paint deer on there? And you go, no, 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 no. That's not how it <laughs> Right. All of a sudden you're like local barista thinks they're <laughs> they're the artist. I mean, they definitely want, want to curate it. You know, they're like, I like red, you know, and it's like, so then we explain to them, like, this is a true expression of one's soul. And that expression, it's not, I mean, in our mural festival, we say no guns, no blood, no, no uh, profanity and no nudity, you know? Mm-hmm. So as long as we say like, look, there's not going to be any profanity, there's not going to be any nudity and it's not going to be offensive because most of it's not. And 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 it's very unlikely that somebody actually wants to put something offensive up and they can take another path to that um, by like just, you know, putting up something on a billboard without permission. Right. right, um, right. They're trying to make a political statement. Right. Um, and then, you know, and then we have a conversation about what it's going to be. And sometimes they ask for sketches and sometimes they don't. But, you know, there is some collaboration that occurs. You know, we want to make sure that we don't paint their, um, you know, the, the peephole in the door. So, you know, the, the, so they can see out, you know, or we don't want to paint um, their address, you know, something like that. So right, we right, just, right. you know, cause that, you know, they're like, how, how am I going to get deliveries if you, you, you know, you paint my numbers out. <laughs> so, so from there, um, you know, I think what we found over the course of, of time here, because actually there is one artist in town who has a very large uh, piece of public art and um, they invoke their VARA rights. And if the, um, if the listeners aren't familiar with VARA rights, this is a visual arts rights act of 1990 and you just Google it and you can learn about it. And basically what that does is it gives an artist um, the rights to the artwork that's on that building. And so what this artist here in town was doing was saying that they wanted to put windows in and then they, uh, filed a lawsuit, civil lawsuit, saying that they couldn't, the, that the building owner couldn't put windows in. Um, I don't know how that actually resolved, but there's still no windows in that mural. Hmm. So what happened is like second or third year of our mural festival, um, some people that were new business owners would say, what's up with this VARA thing? You know, like, do you actually own the rights to the artwork that's on my building once you place it there? And I say, well, kind of if, but you know, most people aren't going to enforce it. And so, uh, you know, on, on a, several occasions, um, o- uh, building owners have asked us to sign off a VARA waiver. And I'd be happy to share that VARA waiver with you guys. You can post it on your website. And it just says, and sometimes, you know, if a if it's a high profile building, the guy says he's going to leave it up for a year and we're cool, we're working together, we're collaborating, we've become friends and neighbors, um, you might want to sign that. And we've done it before. So I don't, I don't think it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, to, to give up your rights so they can actually change the surface of the building at some time. seems very reasonable. Um, you know, <clears throat> and then from there, we just, uh, uh, you know, it's in placed in the public space. It's a uh, part of the public, uh, 
environment. Um, people are going to take their photos in front of it and the whole plethora from graduation photos to senior pictures, senior pictures to wedding photos and so on. So, you know, we see that they're used quite a bit and, and people love them. Um, on some occasions we've talked about like changing some of the murals because maybe they've um, gotten a little older, or they're showing some wear and tear and people are really, um, they become emotionally attached to them. So, you know, that, that really shows that the the public has taken ownership of it. Yeah. So, so, uh, so I want to dig in a little bit. So with, with the relationship between like the owner of the building and these fire rights and this contract. So, so you're saying typically you ask them to sign a contract that'll leave up the, uh, the artwork for at least a year. Um, but if they, didn't they would actually be in violation potentially of these vara rights anyways is that right yeah i well if they if somebody was to change or alter the moral rights of the artist's property which is their which is the creation right not the intellectual property but the creation of the property um yeah, it's it's a very strange law. Um, it protects artists on many many levels. Um, it's been litigated in multiple states to the success of artists. Um, it's a concern for some. Now, if you ask me, that I would be potentially in control of millions of square foot of wall space in my hometown. If somebody wanted to put a, a windows in their building or change their facade. If I was to go out and start to ask for damages or try to apply damages to it, I would probably not get another wall. Right. Right. So there's this idea that uh, while something might be protected by the letter of the law, there's certainly going to be like social ramifications for the extent to which you actually try to enforce that thing. Right. And it's been enforced before. I mean, now in the event that you made some artwork and then it was in a specific location and then it was removed in some capacity um, and destroyed and you weren't able to recover that, like let's say they're on removable panels, um, there's been cases um, where people have been paid by corporations that have done that. So, you know, I think in certain cases like, you know, um, the neighborhood body shop, um, I don't think we're going to make any claim on that business right. um, in the event that you know a, a major corporation does something and does it with malice and with not care there might be grounds for a suit hmm. and and what about like so you know if if there's some mom and pop business that now has uh, a mural on it and you can actually draw kind of a straight line between this mural increasing foot traffic thereby increasing profit for the business that the mural is placed on or a business that's close to it is there any like is there any uh right that the artist has to to that as advertisement so i would so here's what i would do i'm i'm a i'm an i'm an aspiring artist i'm an aspiring mural painter um, like literally we field so many inquiries that were like, I want to paint a mural. And we always tell them, just go paint one. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, so, well, how do you do that? Well, I don't know. Like, just go ask somebody for permission and, you know, be a neighbor, be neighborly and be friendly and buy your own supplies. I mean, you know, there's an artist here in town right now, Richard Wilson, who's painting an 8,000 square foot mural on our music hall. It's of Stevie Wonder. It's something he wanted to do. And he's financed the whole thing to the tune of $12,000. Wow. Like, it's 100 feet in the air. Like, are you insane? <laughs> His passion is there. And I think if you were to ask me from a business standpoint, why is he doing that? Because somebody's going to see that he can and he will and he will do it no matter what because he feels convicted to make that artwork. And he, he's from London. He came to Detroit for our mural festival last year. He fell in love with Detroit. He fell in love with Stevie Wonder's story and he had to get it out. And he did it. And at what cost? I mean, like I'm looking at him up on the lift. I'm going, oh, my God, I couldn't even look down from that building, let alone hang on a cherry picker. Right. So I think if you're a, a young – if you're – not a young. If you're an emerging artist or you are, are an artist that wants to paint murals, you knock on doors. Now, what we're dealing with, we do a project with Quicken Loans each year called the Small Business Mural Project. So we work with local nonprofits that are bus help businesses with a, a whole range of, of assistance. They find the business. Quicken uh, 
between Quicken and One Time Run, we choose local artists and then we paint on them. And they were asking through this Mercedes case, they were saying, well, what's up? You know, what, what is a business owner going to think right now? And, you know, so you have a mural on your building and you don't own the rights to it. You don't own the co- underlying copyright rights to it. Right. But you can put it on your business card because it is a location of your business. You can run an ad in a local magazine because that's your that's what your business looks like of your store. Now, if they were going to start putting that on T-shirts, that might be a conversation they need to have with the artist. So, like, where's the fine line and, like, how do we have these conversations? Now, yeah. if a car company wants to come and park a car in front of it, um, you probably should call the artist to figure it out. So I think it's, I was painting a mural. I'm going to be at this person's location for four or five days. I would start having an ongoing conversation about usage. You know what? I think it's awesome if you use it for these things. If anybody wants to do a photo shoot in front of this for a third party, call me and I'll take care of it because I actually there's, that is my, this is my creation um, I put a lot of effort, and love and care into these characters or this concept, and I don't want it to be used by a third party without my me knowing of it. Because hmm. a lot of people don't want to be associated with a certain brand. So, right. you know, I think that's the conversation that can occur over time as as you start to build um, build um, a, a better relationship or, or rapport with that business owner. But that's what we we're having the conversation about the small business mural project. They're going to say, like, well, what can I use it for? Well, you just can't sell it to somebody else or you can't let somebody else use it. Right, 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 right. So let's, okay. So, so there, it seems like, and it sounds pretty reasonable that, uh, again, I mean, the, the protection here and the relationship between an artist and whoever owns this wall, um, regardless of what the letter of the law says in 99 cases out of a hundred, um, most of these things will be managed by the quality of the relationship that the artist and or representatives of the artist have with the person who owns the wall. Um, and, uh, and that makes sense to me. So like, you know, it seems like for the artist, know your rights, know, you know, know the, the world you're playing in, but above all else, if you're trying to become a muralist, you got to make murals. So do whatever you need to do, make whatever relationships you need to make to, uh, to sort of play nice with shop owners. And, um, you know, in most cases they're going to get some benefit out of it as well anyways. So it should be kind of a win-win. Um, but whenever we take it outside the scope of like that sort of tight loop of, look, you're working directly with the person who owns the building that you're painting on. So clearly you're going to have access to them. When you get out of that loop and you get into this loop of third parties, what is, you know, so, and maybe you can kind of tell the listeners a little bit more of the details around uh, this case with Mercedes, but, um, you know, what recourse does an artist have if a third party comes in and uses your artwork as, you know, a piece of advertisement or something that's actually making them money? Sure. And I think there's, um, this is something we deal with on an ongoing basis. Um, it's literally weekly that we deal with a case where an artist feels like that they've been infringed upon. And a lot of times, because we have so many pieces of public art around the city that we, you know, we get a lot of emails from, you know, uh, third parties that see the usage or an artist that was tagged in a, in a, in some sort of a social media post and they were made alert, uh, aware of that, the usage, um, I think let's start at the lowest kind of infringement that is probably not worth getting upset about. But, you know, somebody using an image um, potentially for like a mix CD and they put it on their SoundCloud. Hmm. Okay. And maybe it's them at your mural or maybe it's just the mural. Well, one is they're a fan of your art. They love your creation. They think it represents their sound. And you know what? it's probably there's it's who knows what the usage rights are that are, but you're definitely um, if you're upset about it, like I don't like that they use profanity in their music, then I would send them an email and tell them, look, I don't like the use of the profanity or the style of your music. And I would appreciate not to be associated with it. Thank you. Hmm. Simple enough. Right. Right. Um, So be polite because the first reaction is to get pissed. I'm mad. Right. You used my artwork. And I think like, okay, well, they always tell you like maybe, you know, sometimes you send that, you know, put it in your drafts folder and come back to, to the next day. <laughs> right, right, right. So I think that would play true in that case. Now, 
you know, there are people that use a lot of the hashtags that are of our of our brands and um, they will take photos of their um, maybe they have a clothing line, small, independent, local clothing line, and they're doing their photo shoots in front of the murals. Mm. And not much, not much you can do about it. It, it, it it's weird. It, it feels awkward to me, but I don't know. It's not my artwork. I'm just the curator of it, and I don't know if I should send every artist every, you know, every photo that a third party took in front of it. And you know, if the artist is upset about it, doesn't maybe doesn't want to participate in that brand's story. Um, again, they could send them an email and tell them that. Now, in certain circumstances, they could say, hey, you want to use my mural in a campaign? I think give me a couple hundred bucks and I'd be totally cool with that. Mm. Um, and I think so, like that could start the negotiation process, you know, but like $10,000, never going to happen. <laughs> they don't have $10,000. Right, right, right. So then let's move up the line uh, one step further. Uh, local, uh, a local brand that does local regional advertising. So they put your, they park their product in front of your mural. They put a dolly in front of that and they do a panning shot of it. Hmm. Okay. And then they run it on and then you're, you're, you're in, you're, you're at brunch and you see it on the TV during the football game. (laughs) Right. Now you're really mad, but the likelihood of you getting paid is probably a lot higher. So in, in that circumstance, I've dealt with that. Um, dealt with that exact scenario. So that was me. <laughs> As, oh my God. These are, okay. these are, these all come from real life. <laughs> these are my real life antidotes. So, uh, without naming any names, cause it's irrelevant. Right. I send the guys an email and I say, Hey guys, uh, you can't do that. And they say, Oh, well, you're right. But I guess not. I said, okay, well, uh, it's going to be $5,000. And they say, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. We don't have that money. And I said, okay, well, you know, then you have to pull the TV commercials. And then they say, okay, well, let's see how we can work together. Great. They ended up um, compensating the artist um, uh, to whatever the artist is liking was. I think it was something around $5,000. That's cool. Um, And then uh, three months later, I'm in the same uh, uh, restaurant having brunch, and I see another ad using the different murals. Well, that was all part of the same shoot. And the editors were just pulling it and they didn't have any idea. Hmm. So what they agreed to do is to pay the three artists that were in that commercial $1,500 each. Next, the next time they were looking to do mural, uh, do another photo shoot to get this whole bank of footage um, that they're going to use for like the next six months of ads. Um, they called us and they said, hey, guys, we want to shoot with this mural, this mural and this mural. And it, could you go get us the rights to those? And we did. And then they renewed those contracts for one more year. So they paid $1,500 for the usage. Now, this is regional, right? goes out to 7 million homes. It's not, it's not a huge market, but it's not a small market. Right. And, um, and, to, and to, to, to renew that license for another 12 months was 500 bucks. Nice. Super okay. reasonable. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think in that case, you do that. Now, if we fast forward up to, you know, these cases that get lots and lots of attention, um, there are a handful of lawyers uh, that specialize in copyright and trademark infringement, and there's a group in New York out of uh, that does it. And then Jeff Gluck, who we work with out of L.A., Gluck Law Firm, and uh, we had – it was during the North American International Auto Show. We got a call from an agency, and the agency says, hey, we wanted to use one of these murals for a Mercedes-Benz project. We said, great. They paid the licensing fee, and – and they went and did their thing and, and, you know, nothing happened of it. We didn't know it. We didn't even know that they were there. We never saw any of the photos. It just, who knows if it even happened. Yeah. Um, we just don't know. Right. So then about a month later, maybe just within the same month, I can't remember. Um, we start getting, um, text messages saying, Hey, look, my art is like fully, featured in this Mercedes Benz ad. And we were like, so strange. They just licensed another ad, another mural for some other project, like the same time period, like the same day. Hmm. Well, we found out that there were two different agencies. So a lot of times what you're dealing with almost always, even the television commercials, uh, that, you know, local, um, regional, what have you, they're mostly agencies or third parties. It's not, you know, the brand that's shot it. So, um, the agency would carry the liability for that. 
Mm. Now, so, you know, Jeff Gluck uh, compiles all the information from the artist, finds that the images were not only used on Instagram, but were also put up on their content um, distribution center. And if you do a Google image search on matching images, those images of Jeff Soto or Dabbles or um, Denial's murals um, with the with with the with the G wagon in front of it, like literally, were used for magazine covers and full spreads in magazines. Like it wasn't just one Instagram post; wow. they were on the content platform. And so, like anybody who wants to do anything, write an article, do a blog post, anything, like they had full access to that entire set of photos. Hmm. And that was published through the agency. Agency did it, but they were on Daimler Chrysler's website. Right. No. no yeah, Mercedes Benz Daimler. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Um, yeah, they're on. They're all up there on that feed. So, like, literally, up until they um, filed this preemptive lawsuit, those images were still available. They were actually available the day after they filed the lawsuit. Hmm. So, Jeff Gluck reaches out to Mercedes, and he says, "Hey, these guys are due. You know, you're infringing upon their." use you know, their, their copyright. Like, what can we do? Um, so what they do, what other companies have done, a, a big, big brands, and, and, and some of them are notable, um, they file a preemptive lawsuit that says that you, the artist does not have, co- have any sort of stake in copyright of that project. Now, in the Mercedes-Benz lawsuits, they refer to a permit that was issued by the city of Detroit that gave them rights to film. The permit does not allow them. They, it says that any other uh, um, any other agreements that they need to get, they would have to get them on their own that this permit does not cover all of that stuff. But they put it in their lawsuit nonetheless. Mm. They also said in their lawsuit it was for one Instagram post, which it wasn't. So it's just like – it's just a lot of words and a lot of them are really very specific. And they tried to get a judge to rule on that case and say, you know what, we're going to see, we're going to, we're going to let this motion proceed at that, that, um, that you, the, uh, that you're not infringing on their copyright. And if they did that in New York state, in the state of Michigan and California and Oregon and Iowa, it could potentially become case law. And that case law could be cited in any district and there's any copyright infringement. That's why people are so up in arms about making public awareness about this. Because if they can create this firestorm and get them to drop their lawsuit, which many of them have, hmm. um, that then it goes away. You know, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like if it pass, if if a judge, one judge may some district may just say, yeah, go for it. So you, know? so you basically don't want to be the artist who's the asshole that actually like let you know, was the, uh, fire starter to Mercedes Benz preemptive lawsuit becoming case law. Yeah. I don't think you really want to be in that seat, but what you can do as an artist is, you know, you, you have, I mean, this would be almost impossible to work with, work through without having a legal degree right? because about a week and a half later, Jeff Gluck filed a motion to dismiss and that's now waiting in the docket. Gotcha. So this is all still in play. It's very, very active. Um, and you know, these things take a long time, you know, so if, if they get the motion to dismiss then, and I'm not, I don't practice law, don't know how it really works, but I think that they would probably file a, uh, the artist would file a civil suit against Mercedes for the infringement, the infringement. So the the capital artist, yeah, the artist just called the company and said, "Hey, you're infringing upon us. Let's make a let's talk about this." Hmm. They then Mercedes preemptively files a lawsuit in um the Southern District of Michigan and Detroit in federal court to say they don't have any rights to it. So they weren't it wasn't like the law, the artist filed a civil lawsuit and said you owe me x amount of money. So then they were going to uh then defend themselves. Hmm. The artists are the defendants. Yeah. So, so what's your take on, like, do you think that this is something that just happens enough to a big enough company that it's worth their while? You know, I mean, my inclination would be, I mean, and granted, I don't have a legal degree and I'm probably a little naive in this, but it seems like a company as big as a Daimler Chrysler or whatever would 
be like, yeah, man, let's just figure out how to pay you for your work, right? Like that's what the artist wants out of it. Let's just be fair and pay for it. But do you think this happens at a large enough scale that it's worth their while? Like what's the what's the underlying root sort of impetus for that aggressive of an action, do you think? <laughs> So what's my hypothesis or what's reality? Because I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you're not in their office, so it has to be kind of your best guess. But but why do you kind of what what do you smell on this? You know, I think there's a couple. It's a, it's, it's multiple prongs. So I think one is that some agencies will just take the risk and not and not get approval. I think some agencies, smaller agencies, don't really realize the ramifications of it mm. or don't know that they're infringing upon the copyright of others. And and then I think. That if an agency would or a corporation is a repeat offender, that I think they're just doing it to pay the break point. So if I do it ten times and I get caught once, it only I only have to pay for it once. But as I was as we were mentioning in, our, in the first phone call that we had together, it's like so one what we do is if if somebody reaches out to us and says I want to license a mural, we charge fifth we say it's fifteen hundred dollars for local, regional. That's to use it for regional for a year. You can use it however you want. It's $5,000 for national. Okay. And then, but if, if we get an, if we find that there's usage that infringes upon the copyright, we would then, um, ask for double that usually Hmm. because we ask for double and we end up settling at the, at a fair number. That's, you know, not the 1500, but not the doubled number. Right. You know, but if you went ask and asked for 1500, they're going to try to beat you up, you know? So there are many, many times, and this is really the coolest part about this whole process. There's many times where you send a nice email, sometimes to their PR department, sometimes to the legal department, but the PR department is much easier to find. Right. And they go, you know what? We messed up or a third party messed up and we want to make this right. I was explaining to you um, this situation where as a smaller agency did a small campaign, but with a big brand associated to it. And they end up having um, this situation where the artist sent it to us. We sent them an email all within the same day. They made a deal and then they got the artist to participate in their grand opening event and the special event that they had, be a part of the video and ongoing basis. So they were able to create a better relationship with the artist through the inquiry because we were polite. Hmm. And do you find that that's more the typical route? I mean, do you find that most people want to deal with these things above board? I think that most most people that are are the infringer, whether they're a photographer or a video company or an agency, they're very apologetic and they didn't know they infringed it. And a lot of times the corporation would be like, I'm really sorry. We didn't realize that, or that was done by a third party and we just put it on our feed and we didn't know they had, didn't have the clearances. I'm sorry. Let's do it right. Hmm. That's most of the time how it happens. I mean, this is literally out of dozens and dozens of opportunities where we've been, went, been in the middle of either negotiating on the front end or negotiating on the back end. This is the first time I've ever been involved in a preemptive lawsuit where the artists have become the defendants. Yeah. And I've never been involved in a civil suit that had a settlement to an artist. Never. Yeah. I've never seen a civil suit re- re- result in an artist getting paid. So like, I'm going to sue you talk doesn't work. Right. Right. So what is your, I'm curious, man, because, you know, uh, I, I, A, I'm curious how realistic artists are when something like this happens to them in terms of what their rights really are and how much money they can really expect to make out of it. Um, and B, I'm curious, like, what is, how much of your job while something like this is happening becomes just like being a bit of a psychologist and making sure that people understand all of, you know, all the realities and how best to like manage their relationship so that there's a positive outcome. Yeah. So primarily with, um, the artwork, uh, that's in murals on the market or artwork that we're curated. Mm. We have such great relationship with the artists. They just come to us and let us deal with it. So there's no emotion attached to it. Nice. Okay. Um, now let's call it like we're in a smaller city and there's not a company like ours and there's nobody that curates a mural festival and you don't have a relationship and it is what it is. I, you know, I would wait, wait a day. It's not emotional. Don't get upset and just have a conversation with your neighbor. That's, that's as easy as it is, is just saying, Hey, I don't know if you guys know, but I actually own the copyright and this usage is not fair. And it, 
you know, maybe we can come up with a resolution. And part of that resolution is to say, thank you for your art has, has, um, really made our video or our photo better. And we want to compensate you for that. Hmm. You know, everybody, I mean, they say it all the time, the guy, um, you know, they're, they pay for everybody. Everybody on the crew gets paid. Right. But not the artist because it was there because it was just there and you just happened to find it. Like you didn't, it was just an accident. You found this and you said, that's a great place to park this car. And it's framed perfectly. <laughs> right. Like that's intent. That's, they did it with intention. So like somebody thought it through now, the, the art director or the director of photography or the photographer, maybe they don't even think about it sometimes. Right, 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 right. That it's copyright infringement. They're just thinking like, this is a great shot. This is going to be great. Let's do it. And, and I mean, look, if we look at like 300 million people in this country, not everybody is understands art, even if they're work in the arts, quote unquote. Right. Right. So it just, they're sometimes they do it intentionally, but 99% of the time it's not intentional. And so it's not, it should not be an emotional conversation. Yeah. Well, I mean, and certainly not to cheapen the artwork by any means, but I think it's reasonable to look at, you know, if you're a photographer and you're trying to figure out where to take the coolest shot, um, it's reasonable to see why someone would be like, well, does it look good in front of this tree? Does it look good in front of this building? Does it look good in front of this bri bridge? All of which are free to use, right? So as soon as it turns from... Uh, would it look good in front of this wall? You know, again, as you're saying, for someone who doesn't spend their time in the arts and isn't really actively thinking about it, seems like an easy mistake to make. And I think so, you know, and I think that's our approach, you know, especially with um, some of the companies that we've reached out to and had conversations with, you know, it's, it's usually a negotiation. They understand it. It usually goes to the law department. They get it, you know, yeah. and it's just resolved, you know, it's just resolved. So, but I think like, okay, if you ask me, like one of the guys uh, that was in the mural festival, I don't know if it's the specific corner um, in the market or it's the, the artwork. I don't have no idea why, but this mural gets licensed all the time hmm. and and to the tune of like way more than it, it ever would have, if it was a commission mural, way more, hmm. right? Hmm. Way more money than even the commission would cost. So, um, you know, w at some point, they don't even really care what video it's in or what product <laughs> it's selling. Right. You know, it's like, oh, why? Well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm anti this or, or I'm pro that. So I don't want it to be in it. Like, you know, I, I just think at some point it's just like, okay, another, another usage. Right. Just use it or another usage infringement. I mean, I don't care. So like most of the people we deal with here, because, you know, I don't know, there's probably 75 art local artists that we, we kind of work with on public art projects. I mean, they know the deal. Right. Nobody cares. They just, they shoot the email over. We try to negotiate. 99% of the time we get, a, we get somebody to, to take care of the, the situation and then the artists are super happy, you know, with murals in the market, let me just say this. So, um, up until this point, we, you know, we've been bootstrapped, um, to just do public art and uh, the groundswell of, of its support within the local community is we haven't had a budget, uh, a, a budget to, um, to compensate the artist, um, for the work, but, you know, we, uh, compensate them on many other levels. Um, all meals are paid for. There's a lot of entertainment that happens. Um, we have ongoing relationships. We do an art show. We, uh, we, uh, issue it. We, we publish a print during the time period and all that. Right. Mm. So it's not just like you painting for free and you're not getting any benefit from it, but, it's our duty to like be able to pay them back and say thank you by when somebody calls to facilitate this opportunity to, for them to get compensated for their artwork, whether it's preemptive or proactive or reactive. And, you know, that's kind of how it works with us. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a good problem to have that your, your shit's so interesting that, that, that people want to use it. Right. I mean, that's, um, probably a better problem to have than the problem that a lot of artists have, which is just, how do I get anybody to look at this thing? So, <laughs> so it seems like, you know, you, you pick your battles. Although I will say, I mean, the one thing that's interesting is that it seems like the companies that are big enough to know better, like the people who are big enough, you know, it's one thing if, like you said, if your local photographer wants to use it for their local promotion or, you know, some local media company doesn't really understand the artist's rights, but you would think that it, you know, these giant corporations that are running national or international ads, uh, they would be the ones who kind of have the expertise to know better. And they're the ones that seem to be, uh, 
most actively trying to work against the artist's best interests. I mean, I think that's because, you know, if they could get one of these cases to fly and they could get a judge to, to see their, their version of the story, then, um, you know, I think in the case of like, um, there's a Cadillac case, um, and I, I think that they're saying like, hey, we just want to be able to park a car wherever we want, shoot whatever we want now. Um, and I think if they get one of those things to actually go through the legal system and they get case law developed and, you know, they never have to pay another uh, person um, for the usage of artwork. So I think that is like really what is at the genesis of what corporations want. And, you know, just be really happy for them. Just go around and do whatever they want and take whatever photo they want and put it in front of anybody's artwork. So, yeah, I think that I think that is really what they would really like to have. So, you know, we're dealing with, you know, mom and pop business, local person, medium sized regional corporation and then these multinationals, you know, and and the regional ones are like, you know, there's they're still, you know, they're still run by people, you know, and yeah. not by not by shareholder interest. So, um you know, or exclusively run by shareholder interest. So, you know, I think that's kind of where where the where the the the, the law kind of works in their favor. I mean, they know how to use the courts. I mean, the money that a corporation would spend on just writing one of these lawsuits and all that stuff. I mean, it's probably like less expensive for them to just like take care of the artist and say thank you, sorry we used it. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's it's interesting, man. Well, uh, you know, hopefully uh, our listeners will keep keep an eye on sort of that as it develops. I'm really curious to see how that ends up. I mean, obviously as advocates for the arts, we want that to go a certain way, but, uh, it's, it's super interesting to hear that it's working that way. I mean, what, what also is kind of the effect of social media? I mean, you know, I think that's another aspect of this that, um, we haven't talked as much about, but you know, the proliferation with which something can get out there now, you know, it's not like we, we we no longer live in the era where if you have to pull a TV ad, you just pull the TV ad. Uh, you know, once the stuff is out there, it's kind of out there forever. Does that make the struggle harder for artists because it's pretty permanent or easier because there's a paper trail of uh, how people have used these things? Yeah, you know, I don't really know. Um, you know, I haven't really seen a case where like a brand uh, has used an, uh, an image with artwork that's really con, kind of gone viral other than the infringement of it has gone viral. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you have to track down a third party. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest part of social media is like to build awareness around it. We see it um, if you follow artists and you see it with some of the higher profile artists that run into one of these cases that not only they uh, get behind and talk about this infringement or the aggressiveness, uh, from this, uh, you know, legal system in the, in, in the corporation. But, um, you'll see that their friends, their fans, their contemporaries, like everybody, it's like the groundswell of, of, of support and negative publicity seems to really be the motivator here, um, to kind of drive public awareness around this central idea. You know, we could pair it to other, um, corollaries in our society where it's like somebody feels that they're wronged. Um, they put the message out into social media mm. and it catches wildfire. That's really the power of social media in this case, I think. But, um, in regards to people, um, you know, kind of like spinning out there and being used and then being repurposed, I mean, people aren't really sharing and repurposing ads. Yeah. 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 I mean, it seems like that's like an extension of, I mean, certainly at a much larger scale, but an extension of the idea that we were talking about earlier that like, regardless of what the letter of the law says, most of the battlegrounds, most of where you're going to succeed or fail in a case like this is by creating relationships and doing things through um, avenues that aren't aren't lawsuits, right? You know, whether it's the relationship that you have with the building owner or whether it's uh, sort of managing a big company's public image through use of social media, you know, all of these things seem like it's, it's a better idea and you're going to get more mileage out of finding ways to make your point and get your money in a, in a way that's not just suing them. You're legally, you legally hold the copyright. Right. And you can protect your copyright. Right. But that's that we're uh, litigating it is the last thing that you want to do. Yeah. And threatening litigation is the absolute last thing you want to do, you know? So I think you have rights 
those rights are um, entitled to you through the law. Um, but using the legal system to deal with these cases, not a good course of action. And now, like, let's say you get to an impasse. We can't come up with a negotiation together. Um, like I said before, $1,500, $500, a couple hundred bucks from a local t-shirt brand. Like this almost seems kind of really manageable. We're not talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right, right. Um, and I don't know what any settlements are that would uh, fall out the spectrum of those projects or any of these settlements that have kind of worked their way through the court. I'm just not, I don't have that information, but I would think it would be a lot more than that, you know? So, because there's lawyers working on it um, and they all get fees. So um, yeah, I just, I don't really think it's ever, and ever it's a legal right, but it's definitely not a thing you're going to litigate. And I don't even know if, you know, if you're going to kind of go at it your own, because I think you could file like a, some sort of suit on your own in small claims court of civil litigation, but I, I, it's not even worth the time. Like the effort, the energy, the animosity, the frustration, the anxiety that could create, like, I just really don't think it's, it's worth it. You know, it's just not that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we place the art in the public space. There are some risks to that. You know, if we go into it and we say, I'm going to start painting murals, I'm going to paint my first mural on the neighborhood um, coffee shop, and then I hope to get some commissions out of it, and I hope to get brand awareness, acknowledgement in my community, I hope to give back to my neighborhood. Um, you know, if somebody uses it for something that I wasn't really uh, – I didn't approve, well, like, let's weigh the benefits. Okay. You got your artwork in the public space. People love it. People see it. Tens of thousands of people could potentially drive by it. Everybody in the public could take their photos next to it. It could be a place that you could um, visit often. It's an anchor in your community. It's your iconography. Hmm. And then what's going to happen from that? Oh, hey, we wanted to paint a mural inside of our building. Okay. Maybe get that person. That's the only person in town. That's who paints murals. That person paints murals. So like if I thought about like, you know, the, the, we threw a rocket upon and it rippled out. And if one of those rings is an infringement, I would look at the whole pond now being not still and it's moving through the ripples and say, that's my net benefit. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great, great way to look at it, man. And, uh, and I hope, uh, you know, uh, we do have a, a fair bit of listeners who are artists themselves, and I think this is really, really valuable advice that um, is hard to come by. You've obviously come by it honestly. You've done the hard work. You've seen a million cases, and you know it works, and you know it doesn't. So, uh, yeah, man, thank thank you so much for spending your time with me today and sharing your expertise and wisdom. Uh, I, I definitely learned something, and I think that our listeners will find this really, really interesting. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. So, well, before I let you go, a couple things. Uh, first, how can how can listeners follow along with what you're doing at One by Run and Murals in the Market? Sure. You know, I mean, obviously, Instagram's the best place to follow us. Um, it's just uh, at the number one X R U N, and then it's uh, and it's at Murals in the Market. But I encourage people to, you know, if they're interested in art and they want to see what we do on a curation level is to go to onexrun.com, sign up to become a member. We send a daily email and I always tell people like you shouldn't like everything we do, <laughs> but it, by us sending you a daily email and you getting to, you're going to take our curation and start to create your own um, likes and dislikes out of that. You'll start to create your own taste, your own flavor, your own feel. Um, we put stories in the newsletter that talk about the artist and talk about where they came from. And we just released a print with Stanley Mouse. Um, Stanley Mouse was one of the early um, illustrators for The Grateful Dead. Nice. I mean, it's like you can get his autograph on something, you know? So I think that's super cool. Um, and so I think that's, that's always encouraged people is kind of like, Follow, you know, get the newsletter, get the daily email, um, learn about all these different artists and what they do and, and why it's important for them to be published and, um, you know, take them into your collection and, and enjoy them for the long run. That's awesome, man. And uh, listeners, definitely check that out. Um, stay tuned to, to One Time Run. You guys are doing some awesome stuff. Um, and last but not least, before I let you go, our listeners know we always wind down an episode with a quick rapid fire question section to get to know you a little bit better. Nothing to do with the interview. Do you have a minute to do that? Let's do it. Awesome, man. All right. So first rapid fire question, who would you most like to meet living or dead? Oh, James Baldwin. James Baldwin. Very nice. Why? 
I mean, I just read all of his books and I was truly inspired by his creativity. I love it, man. So if God forbid your office burnt down, what's the one thing that you would have to rescue out of it? My dog, Oscar from the block. <laughs> Very nice. What kind of dog? I got to know. He's a pug. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, he's not getting himself out of there. You got to get him out. <laughs> no, he's slow. <laughs> he's, he'd probably be still sleeping in his bed. <laughs> yeah, nice and warm in there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> last but not least, what is Detroit's best kept secret? Man, that's a, that's a stopper, man. <laughs> got to give you a challenge. Best, best kept secret is that the people are really genuine, authentic, and there's not a lot of pretension here. You know, you show up, people say, welcome to Detroit. And I think if anybody want to come out here and put up roots, um, they're going to be more than welcome to be part of our community. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, listeners, check out One Time Run. Check out Murals in the Market. Uh, I definitely think we all learned something here today. You are a wealth of information. Uh, and you know, good luck to your continued success and all the artists you work with, man. It's fascinating to listen along. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And then, like I said, if, if anybody wants, uh, you know, I'm happy to share those documents with you. You guys can post them and, um, and that should be like at least, uh, you know, get your foot, get the, the first step in the process going. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jesse. All right. Thank you. As always, listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode of State of the Art. And uh, if you like what we're doing here at State of the Art, or if you like this episode, please rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Five-star reviews are always great. That's the most helpful thing you can do to help us, to help us grow, and to find other awesome listeners that like the same things you do. So thank you so much again, and I hope you tune in next week for another episode of State of the Art.